Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We've got lots to talk about and we've got plenty of time to do it as well. Uh, the migrant bill has passed through the House of Commons and the House of Lords, pretty much unfettered uh, by those lefty lords who were trying to make it impossible for us to kick any migrants out who did not qualify for uh, basic asylum in this country. Uh, but unfortunately, the bill is still got an awful lot of holes in it. It is literally like a calendar uh, because every single lefty lawyer in the land will find ways around it because what it says is that we will be under duty of care to put people into detention uh, if they apply for asylum and fail and we will then have to deport them back to the country from whence they came but of course that's not going to work is it because in practice the lefty lawyers will say well where are you going to send them you can't send them back to their country of origin if it turns out they're going to be tortured there because that's against the European Convention on Human Rights you can't send them back to France because the French haven't got any kind of agreement uh, that we should send them back there from whence they came the Calais border they will also not be able to be sent to any neutral country because, once again, the lefty lawyers will say, well, that's against their human rights, because they might end up getting sent on from there, back to whence they came, uh, where they will be tortured. So we've all gone around in a massive, great, big kind of circle, spending millions and millions of pounds. We've got a new uh, boat on the horizon, uh, you know, this uh, Bibby Stockholm scenario, where 500 people are going to be put on uh, and allowed to meander around at their uh, behest, playing shuffleboard, ping-pong, having a drink whenever they want to, and wandering into Weymouth if they fancy a night out on the Turks. Amazing. This is great, isn't it? So we are now actually enabling people to have a holiday in Britain. Come to Britain. Have a holiday. Go on a barge. It's like a cruise. I mean, maybe we'll take you over to Venice and you can have a look at that. Or maybe we'll take you around uh, the Mediterranean uh, if the sea isn't actually boiling by then because, of course, we're all being told uh, that the climate change is so awful uh, that people can't go out in the sun for fear of being uh, sunburnt to death. That's what's happening, apparently, in Europe, if you believe any of the other proper media outlets that they call themselves, the BBC, Sky, ITV. uh, They're telling you, basically, that the world is coming to an end, and if you go anywhere east of uh, Dulwich, you'll end up burning up in some kind of great fireball. Ridiculous. 0344 499 1000. We're going to talk to Rupert Lowe. Richard Tice has been down to Thlenetley. We're going to talk to him as well, because he's been down uh, giving support and succour to those good people of Thlenetley who managed to chase the... uh, uh, the migrant security guys out of a hotel down there and it could actually be the way forward for the rest of the country. Also Rupert Lowe is here we'll talk to him about the illegal migration bill apparently you're alright if you're a bricklayer or you're a plasterer you can come in no problem at all so that'll be the next thing. Uh, instead of coming in and saying that they're homosexuals uh, the illegal migrants will say no no we're bricklayers now uh, so just give us a job. 0344 499 1000 is the number. It's hard to believe that this is a country being run by anybody at all with a brain isn't it? This is Talk TV. Let's get it on. Front page of the Sun today, by the way. Manly Sykes says she thinks she's got Tourette's. Yeah, I think that's what I've got as well. Just keeps swearing all the time. Can't stop. Uh, let's talk to Rupert Lowe, former MEP and a man who abused um, uh, common sense. Rupert, very good morning to you. 
Good morning, Mike. That, uh, you made me giggle with that one. Um, it's, uh, it's great to be swimming in a bit of common sense for a change. Well, do you know what? I mean, you do wonder, don't you, that uh, the, the left hand does not know what the right hand is doing. So on the one hand, they're telling us, well, we've had a great victory. We've managed to get the migrant bill through the House of Lords and the House of Commons. We've managed to get rid of all of the, the sort of lefty amendments that the bishops put on. And now we've got a proper bill. Uh, and then you go, well, what can you do? Uh, nothing, actually. Nothing at all. Well, I think we've been through this before. All we need to do is talk to the Australians and get uh, the, the people who were behind their policy uh, over here and implement it because the treaties allow us to do it. We, we actually, with a bit of will, we can, we can stop the boats and we can actually make a big change. And as you, as you were saying about, you know, plasterers and, and, and plumbers and, and other people, this big issue for me is apprenticeships. I... You know, at the end of the day, we, we have probably three or four businesses that have 50 or so apprentices. Yeah. Uh, we have trouble finding uh, decent colleges to teach them in. So we're actually now having to address uh, putting together our own uh, apprentice scheme to try and produce electricians and plumbers. Um, I, I've been tweeting about this. You know, there's apprenticeship levy, which, which is another administrative burden on all of the businesses, particularly smaller businesses yeah. that train these people. When all we really need is a tax break, we don't need the government mm. involved in telling us how to do it. We, we're quite capable of doing it. Uh, and rather like, you know, James Dyson, who said there's a shortage of, of, of mechanic, me, you know, me, mechanical engineers yeah. and designers, he set up his own uh, university to teach these people. The bottom line is, you know, when I tweet about it, I get, I get sort of buried by the lunatics who accuse me of being an exploitive employer and everything else. Well, that's not true. Ultimately, well, why? You know, what's what wrong trying, with employing people? What we're trying to do is teach people uh, to do uh, useful trades. They all say, well, did your children go to university? Well, the answer is yes, they did. Yeah. That's the current fashion. But my son, who's now working at one of our businesses, um, he did politics and sociology at Leeds. Uh, whereas my grandfather, who set the business up in 1923, he was 100 years old in March, he did his apprenticeship in Oxford. Mm. So... You know, I, I think Rishi Sunak is right. There are some ridiculous degrees. I mean, one in, I, I think I read one, one in comic and one in e-sport. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of, uh, 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 you know, useless degrees mm. which, which people go and go and do. And it mm. doesn't, doesn't teach them to do anything functional. No. And what do you think has gone wrong then with the training systems in this country? You know, why do we not have enough bricklayers? Why do we not have enough people learning that trade or becoming plasterers? Why? Because I think, you know, in this country, we're taught that we've always been taught that trade is bad and that, you know, the professions are good. It's 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 almost embedded into our culture. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, you know, we've got now uh, a civil service that's got far too big and bloated. Uh, as you and I would agree, I don't know why their salaries are going up 5 percent. Right. We should be down 5% on the basis of product. And we learned today, there's a story in one of the papers today saying that civil servants um, and sort of, you know, public sector employees retire three years earlier than private sector employees. Well, why is that? Because they've got an index-linked pension and the contribution to their pension during their working life is huge compared with the private yeah. sector. And actually, actually, the private sector that funds all of this nonsense, well, it isn't actually now, as we know, it's quantitative easing, and since 2008, what we've what we've basically been doing is is the analogy I use is we're a bit like we're a bit like somebody who's eating baked beans uh, with a Porsche sitting out on on, on on the patio in front of them. And as I say to a lot of my people, I'm never going to get cross with you for driving a beaten up old VW and having a couple of million in the bank. Uh, but I will get cross with you for basically putting up a facade which is completely wrong. Yeah. 
I think the country now is deluding itself. I think we are heading, I think, for the biggest econ economic calamity that we've ever seen. Uh, and we're a bit like the lemmings. We've, we've sort of gone over the cliff and we're just we're just waiting to fall now. Yeah. But people don't people don't seem to understand that. And, and the only way out again will be for the state to cut and run, print money uh, and create vast inflation. Because, you know, there are so many people now in this country who expect to be looked after and they're not prepared to work. So I, you know, I, I honestly find it depressing uh, and it's refreshing, as I said, to come onto your show and hear a bit of common sense for a change. I, I, I mean, sometimes wonder whether I was born in, in a past era, which is no longer <laughs> relevant. But I mean, I, there I, are I, plenty of us around. You just have to kind of search them out. And luckily, many of them are listening and watching this show right now because uh, people I have great England. ideas. I mean, I get more ideas for how this country should be run from the viewers of this show and from the and, and listeners and the people who call in than a month of Sundays I would get from any, um, you know, MPs. Because, you know, how can you on the one hand say we're going to kick all these people out? 170,000 people uh, who have got um, the, the right to claim asylum should they wish to. But what happens? I always say this to people who are in government. What happens if you turn their asylum claim down and there's 170,000 people who need to be deported? Where are you going to deport them to? How, how is that going to work? Nobody knows. Nobody can give me that answer. That's because we lack the will. We can actually return them to France under the current treaties if we if we were strong enough to do that. Mm. And I, we would all agree that we're paying France a hell of a lot of money. We are. Uh, the French, um, you know, there, there is a... If you were to write an essay to say, French, are they our friend or our foe? I think you could make an equal number of cases that they're our foe rather than our friend, if you study your history. But yes. at the end of the day, they are a very different people to us. And... I don't think they're helping the situation, and I think a lot of the, a lot of the sort of people who want to create this European superstate, which yeah. has been the post-war plan, they're keen to see us flooded with immigration because it means ultimately that managing our own borders has failed, and that that, that our rotten establishment will be even keener to leap back yeah. into in, into the European fray. Which, if you if you read between the lines with Keir Starmer, that's that's pretty much what I think they're planning to do. Yeah, I wouldn't be at all surprised. I mean, I remember going back to, I suppose, around about 2007, I think it was, uh, bought a house in Scotland, needed some plasterers to come in, couldn't find any plasterers who were actually Scottish, and ended up hiring a load of Polish guys who were brilliant, did a great job, but they all came here. If you remember, Tony Blair said about 15,000 Polish people will come to work in Britain, and it turned out about a million people came. And they all worked very hard and they all paid their taxes and they collected their child benefit and they continued to, to collect their child benefit after their kids had gone home. And for all I know, they're still collecting child benefit. You know, it's an incredibly bad, porous system that just doesn't work. Well, to be fair to the, the Polish people, they were incredibly talented. And, and as artists, you know... No, they were brilliant. I mean... They're, they're brilliant because, again, Poland, unlike us, Poland has, in recent memory, had, you know, a communist state there. They've all been oppressed. The only way to survive in, in, in a sort of communist stroke, uh, deeply socialist state mm. is, is to lie and cheat. Right. And as we know, uh, most people behind the Iron Curtain uh, learned very well to lie. Mm. And that's, that's not a society I want to live in. So, But, you know, they're very good people. They worked extremely hard. Mm. And do you know what, Mike? They really appreciated the fact that they, they were free. Yeah. So they were celebrating, uh, you know, all this oppression that we had really during the communist era uh, and, and suddenly they were free. They could do what they wanted. They were extremely resourceful. They they, they respected, you know, our laws and our, 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 our way of life. And they came and helped us. That's fine. I have no problem with targeted immigration. I think it's good. 
What I what I object to is people who queue jump, basically knocking or bumping those out who are actually doing it legally. Right. So I, and in yet our system and our state, and I, I look at all of the, the, the red tape that we come across now when you're trying to run a normal legal business, which is paying its taxes in, in huge yeah. amounts now. You know, the frictional sort of uh, 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 cost of doing this with the state now in, inserted so far into all of our lives is huge. And yet there are so many of them and they're all being, as you say, given these huge pensions, which are index linked, mm. ultimately are going to be a large cause of what I think is a, is a huge economic downturn yeah. coming very soon. Yeah, absolutely right. Because we're paying loads and loads of people to produce absolutely nothing. And all well, they're less, doing less than nothing, is Mike, pushing paper around. Getting in the way. Yeah. Getting in the way. I know. Unbelievable. Listen, um, good to talk to you. Stay with us, Rupert, because I've got a couple of other things to talk to you about as well. Uh, not least the doctor's strike, which is coming up. Uh, we've had the junior doctors. Uh, they've gone back to work today, supposedly. Uh, but don't worry, the uh, consultants who are on about £128,000 a year on average, they don't think they've got enough money either. So they're out on strike now. This is Talk TV. On DAB+, Plus, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. We're talking to Rupert Lowe about a great many things, combined with uh, the stories about uh, the migrant bill that's come out overnight. The migrant barge has finally set sail for Dorset, uh, which is going to house about 509, they say, asylum seekers. Uh, who knows how that's going to go? Uh, it's going to be one of the things that supposedly uh, we are now uh, going to move people out of hotels. But the trouble is the numbers, Rupert, are so huge. Um, we've now got something like four to 500 hotels being occupied. Um, we're going to be playing you a little clip shortly from Planetly. Richard Tice went down there the other day to have a look at how the, uh, the people in uh, the, that particular neighbourhood and that community sort of chased away uh, the people who were trying to occupy a hotel before they actually moved the migrants in. I mean, but the barge thing is it's a gimmick, isn't it? Well, you've got to feel sorry for the people of Portland, haven't you? Yeah. Um, uh, it's t as I say. I don't think that's the solution. Um, I'm not sure s Rwanda is the solution. At least it's sort of. I, I, I've always thought some of this stuff is just sort of um, window dressing to make it look as if something's happening when actually that that you know watch what the hands are doing. There isn't a great deal happening. So I, as I say, it's got to be the Australian uh, uh, policy: zero tolerance. Uh, absolutely send them back. And if they come here illegally, they should never, ever be granted legal status right. in the UK. And that, has to be, and that has to be made a very clear sort of a bargaining chip, I suppose, if you like. And, and they have to know, uh, basically, that if they come here, they will not be given a nice room in a hotel. They will not be given an allowance to spend money. I mean, people are incredulous that actually that's what people, what, what illegal migrants get. It's extraordinary. Well, aren't they? I, I read that they were being taken around Portland in buses and stuff because they didn't want them to feel that they weren't sort of part of the local community. Well, uh, they're not part of the local mm. community. They come here, most of them illegally. There's not a justification for them being here. And yet I get people telling me, oh, well, they all get accepted in the end. Well, they shouldn't be accepted if they came here illegally. Right. They should be back. Uh, it, it's unfair on the people who are applying legally. It stops us actually targeting those people we think are going to make a contribution to our economy and our society. Uh, and, you know, one thing the government should be doing is looking after our borders and making sure that they're secure. Uh, and, and if the Australians can do it with a landmass their size, we should be able to do it quite easily here. Well, what and do you think? So so that that's that's my view. I mean, it's it's... 
It's very difficult to see, though, with the, as I say, the low gene pool in Parliament, the extremely sort of feral civil service now, which has a mind of its own. Uh, it's very difficult to see them delivering anything, Mike, which is why ultimately what we do want them is them out of our lives and let those people who can do things do them. Yeah, absolutely right. And let's look at some people who have managed to do something uh, down in South Wales, in Thalekley, to be precise. Richard Tyes went to visit them yesterday. Well, here we are. We're in the Stradley Park Hotel, just in front of it, in Thalekley. Now, does anyone here listen to talk TV? on top form today. <laughs> Marvellous. Well done, everybody. Absolutely fantastic. We're going to be hearing from Richard Tice a little bit later on because he went down to Thanethley, um, Rupert, in the, in the sort of hopes of being inspired because it does look as though those guys down there have somehow managed to repel um, this rather unfortunate sort of habit that some hotel chains have got um, to basically fire all the local workers take the hotel over, put it uh, uh, put it in charge of some security company like Circo or Taylor Woodrow or somebody like that, um, and basically put a load of people in there uh, who have never lived there before, um, who are going to be free to come and go as they wish, and for a sort of unlimited amount of time. Well, this was happening in my West Midlands constituency when I was a Brexit Party MEP, Mike. I mean, it's been happening uh, for, for an awful long time, and, and it's done with stealth, as you say. Yeah. It's like Circo. Uh, are given contracts. I guess the people who own the hotels are enriched. They don't have to market or or, or serve the local community. They're just filled up with uh, with migrants, and and you've got a taxpayer covenant paying the bills. So that they probably love it. But I I think credit credit to the people. Uh, they've got to stand up. And if they if they don't want this to happen in their local community, they've got to make that absolutely clear. Mm. But as I say, the trouble with a lot of this stuff is it's done in a stealthy way because I think our leaders know that local communities, it's going to damage them. Uh, the first thing people tend to know is the hotel's closing and then the next thing is they've got you know people uh, spending their whatever spending money they get each week uh, on cigarettes in the local shop. Right. Uh, and, you know, it's it, it, these hotels do serve the local community. They do weddings. They do all sorts of... Uh, uh, things which which are necessary, and if you close them down, it has a damaging effect. Yeah. So I I I, I mean, people in this country, uh, as you quite rightly say, most of them share, I think, our, our common sense view of life, which which ultimately uh, has never let us down in the past. So I'm not sure why it would now. Uh, but in the end, they're extremely polite uh, and they're very slow to respond to what they think is wrong. Yeah. But I think people do need to now stand up for their community, for what they believe in. And I think, you know, at the next election, I'm standing. I'm, I'm as I said to you before, I'm, I'm getting my pension in October, even though they've, they've, they've pushed it out one year and I'm 66 in October, but should have been 65 when I started the contract. Right. Um, and I think it's going to be a lot, lot older for, for people who are working at the moment. But I, I'm going to stand for reform because we need some decent people who have contributed to their local communities who are going to stand up for the British electorate and actually deliver change. And that means a party from outside the existing political establishment because really it doesn't make any difference whether you vote Lib Dem yeah. Tory. Well, I had, a, I had a Tory in here yesterday from the London Assembly and I just said, you know, do you not understand that people have literally lost faith in the two-party system? They really have. Everybody I speak to 
doesn't really want to vote for Labour or Conservative. They can't be bothered because they see them as two uh, kind of cheeks of the same backside, if you like. They're just not interested in what they're offering. They're all both, they're both, they're both sort of ramming net zero down your throat. They both want to, to make, uh, you know, people that drive cars to public enemy number one. They want to tax us up the wazoo and make government even bigger than it, than it was, you know, two years ago. It's ridiculous. It's it's absolutely bonkers, and and when where in in any part of your life do you see failure rewarded with further incumbency? And that that incumbency, as it happens at the moment, is the Tories. You know, I'm probably more Tory than most of the Tories, yeah. but I I've watched in horror uh, a, an 80 seat majority being squandered when so much change for the good could have happened. Mm. And you know, people say, oh, if you if you don't vote Tory, you'll get Keir Starmer. Well. Keir Starmer will, without doubt, be worse than the Tories. But, you know, there's only one vote, I think, uh, and this is my last foray into politics. If people want change, they've got to vote for Reform UK, because at the end of the day, we are real people. You know, we run real businesses and we have a real stake in this this economy, in this society. And we don't want to see uh, the perpetuation of what's happening at the moment Mm -hmm. from... Uh, a rotten sort of, uh, you know, Westminster and and everything that goes with it. Yeah, well, we'll see how that all goes. Final uh, point, let's talk about doctors who are on £128,000 a year on average, consultants, going out on strike uh, because apparently they say they've got a rum deal. Well, I, look, I mean, there's some very good people within the NHS, Mike. I, I don't think you can fault some of the uh, people who work there, whether it's the nurses, the doctors... I, the problem with the NHS, again, uh, is people like Amanda Pritchard, who are at the head of it. Uh, and I, I noticed her swanning around in, in, the, uh, in the Royal Box. In the Royal Wimbledon. Box, yes, very nice. I mean, you know, why is she in the Royal Box at Wimbledon when the NHS is falling apart? Right. And it's not falling apart for lack of money. It's falling apart because it's a rotten institution uh, and it's badly run. Yeah. So what you've got, you know, they always say, and I've used this before on your show, fish rots from the head. And with, with regard to the NHS, it is not about the people. There's some very good people, but yeah. they're badly organised and the waste is massive, Mike. If you know, you know, they don't, they basically ration by not treating. So they make, they don't make the most cutting edge treatments available. And I know this from when I, I was chairman of the Rutherford Cancer Centres, which tragically have now uh, gone bust because ultimately the NHS doesn't want to embrace a, a private public partnership which actually would result in better treatment but they don't want to pay for it so what they want is this vast sort of uh, uh, you know administrative sort of machine that is not efficient which gobbles up cash and the only solution the politicians have got is to chuck more taxpayers money at it yeah so do they deserve a pay rise well probably some of them are, are not overpaid so i don't have an argument with the people who work within the nhs what I have an argument with is the people who run the NHS, who I think are, they are, in my view, almost evil, Mike. I, I, I mean, some of them run the most horrific little political sort of uh, uh, cartels, and they are not open to scrutiny. And ultimately, the politicians and the civil service should be all over them like a cheap suit and making them accountable. But, but n- that never happens. So as a result... The civil, the um, NHS goes from from one crisis to another. 
It's hard to believe. I mean, don't forget, though, let's not feel too sorry for them because they can always wander off down the road to the private health clinic and, and make double the money there uh, while they're on strike, which is a rather unusual um, sort of ripple to their particular contract situation. Rupert Lowe, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Rupert Lowe uh, making an awful lot of sense there. Uh, while the rest of the country seems to be sort of wallowing uh, in what can only be described as inefficiency, this government is telling us that we've got the migrant bill sorted now. Everything's going to be different. Well, is it really? We'll take your calls. 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number. We're going to talk a bit about the NHS coming next right here on Talk TV. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. What's the point of the barges, says Judy in Plymouth? It will only work if the illegal immigrants don't get onto the UK soil. They should go straight to the barges and stay on there, not come off the barges to go around towns or abscond. David in Leicestershire says, Metropolitan Police will probably revert to a barter system with sex workers. You give me a freebie and I won't arrest you. Well, that may be the case. Uh, Mike, let's get rid of civil servants uh, as who are they serving? Put productive private sector decision makers in who will be balanced in their decision making. And, of course, those are the kinds of things that people say every single day of the week to me. You know, Martin Gower, former NHS Trust Chair, is going to talk to us in a moment uh, because we get the news today that in terms of waiting times to see a GP, 1.3 million patients a month wait four weeks or longer to see a doctor, which is simply not acceptable. People say to me all the time, you know, well, I would go to the doctors, but actually it's such a faff to try and get an appointment that I don't bother. As a result of that, many people actually don't get themselves sorted when they should. We spoke to Lord Bethel yesterday, who was pretty insulting, I think, to the general populace when he said, more or less, it's our doctrine in the NHS that is wrong. Uh, it's the people who have got health care wrong in this country, not the NHS. And it's not the NHS's fault that it doesn't work. Somehow it's something to do with politicians. And he was one. He was a health minister, for heaven's sake, uh, under Matt Hancock. But let's talk to Martin to see what he makes of it. Well, Martin, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. So uh, here we are again. I mean, we could be talking about a new Alzheimer's wonder drug, which can slow the disease progression by 60%. And that's the good thing that the NHS can sort of garnish for itself. And it can say probably that, you know, some of the research that is done in this country for medicine and for medicines is, is some of the best in the world. But of course, rolling out the availability of something like that becomes a problem because the NHS says, oh, well, we can't do it everywhere. We can only do it in some places. But let's talk just first of all about GP waiting times. 1.3 million patients a month waiting four weeks or more to see a doctor. It's not good enough, is it? It's not good enough. Um, and the trouble is, Mike, because the GPs work in an independent sector, they are privately owned businesses in the vast majority, um, and they work not on, on an employee basis with the NHS, but on a contract basis. Um, the, the, the problem you've got is, it's, but the, the, no, nobody, nobody, the government can't say, well, you've got to pull your socks up on this. They'll say, well, you know, how much more are you going to pay us? And we'll need a new contract to do this. I, I have to say, this is very patchy. Um, I had calls to uh, go to my GP recently and I got three same-day appointments within a week. Right. Um, and that was that was my local health service, which is is good. You know, I, I can't complain, but I do understand, and I think particularly in some of the bigger cities, this is actually quite a problem, mm. um, and 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 a, and a problem that I, I can't see being sorted out. I mean, again, Mike, if I can just make one quick point, the there is there is an issue that in, in uh, many GP surgeries, there are a lot of people who are wanting to see their GP who probably don't need to see them. 
That is what I hear from GPs. Right. I've been hearing it right back to when I was an NHS chair back in 2020. They would say a third, perhaps even 40% of the people in that waiting room, they meet and see a GP. Right. And some of them are very regular attenders. And the problem with all of that, as you say, the difference between, say, a city uh, possible surgery or, or a country one, um, is that in all places where there's kind of population growth, they haven't really expanded the numbers of, uh, of doctors. So doctors are seeing more and more patients. They're getting more and more patients on their sort of roster, if you like. But they haven't really got time to spend any time with an awful lot of them. That's absolutely true. I mean, I have a brother who's severely disabled. Um, his GP surgery in Luton in Bedfordshire just closed. Uh, just one day they all went away and wow. I think they went into the private sector and another surgery took over the patient. But they were already overloaded right. with the number of patients they were serving. Um, and it's it's taken a long, long time for him to get any kind of good, responsive service yeah. from his GP surgery. I mean, isn't it time that somebody stood up and said, maybe the model isn't fit for purpose anymore and maybe we need to change it? Well, the model has can go in one of two directions. I think, I think um, the Labour Party uh, are talking about bringing GPs into uh, employment in the NHS. Well, good luck with that. Um, some of these are sitting on large packages of real estate. Mm. Um, they, 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 there's, there's a whole number of issues there. These are private businesses. What are you going to pay them to take over their business? Uh, it has been done in some places. I know in the West Midlands, in one or two places, it's been done. Mm. But actually, that's that's one direction. The other direction is to encourage the whole out-of-hospital service to embrace the private sector more effectively. Um, we need more GPs. We also, though, do need, I understand to some degree what Lord Bethel said, even though he may have said it rather clumsily, mm. that there is a little bit of educating to do of, of patients um, now, they are trying in my surgery They suggest that maybe if you've got a sore throat or a bad tummy, you maybe should go along to see the pharmacist. Um, uh, that's what you do in America mm. in many yeah. places. My, I, I've lived there and going to the pharmacist was quite a normal thing for something relatively minor. So the, the, there are things that, that patients could do to, to help. But when I see 30 days or 28 days before I could see a GP, um, I mean, my response to that would be, well, look, I'm either going to be better by then or I'm going to be dead by then. Well, that's right. You know, and a lot of people prefer? get put off being uh, uh, sort of visiting the pharmacy because you get to the pharmacy and the pharmacy is overloaded with patients and you have to wait in line for about 10 people in front of you. And a lot of people just that, haven't got time to do that. Well, no, I, it is better than 28 days. So, like, you know. Well, I suppose so. <laughs> but it depends. You know, if you've actually got... Um, a lunch break or something and that's the only chance you've got to go to the pharmacy and everybody else Absolutely. goes there at the same time because not everybody has flexible working you know and you get there and you end up waiting for 45 minutes and then they tell you oh we haven't got that uh, you'll have to come back later well a few years ago i can remember a, a hospital not very far from me where if you went in at about six o'clock onwards in the evening you would find a lot of people who commuted into london uh, found it very difficult to see a gp anyway and they were they were in the A and E, yeah, uh, in desperation to see somebody. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, uh, pretty soon you won't be able to you wouldn't be able to see a, a junior doctor for the last five days. Now uh, you're going to have a uh, struggle finding a consultant because they're going out on strike. Well, I think that is disgraceful. Yeah. I think the BMA, the next meeting they they have, they should get round the table and uh, hold their heads in shame. To be honest, yeah. Um, I, I think I think this is absolutely disgraceful. 
my my own brother's a doctor he would never ever the idea of going on strike would have been abhorrent mm. to him the the bma are leading these people in a bad direction um, and actually i can't think that a very high proportion of our consultants are actually going to go on strike um, i think a number will uh, but this is a politically driven strike it is to get rid of the 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 the, the tory whatever they're called um, and, and, and to make it as painful for people and patients mm. as they can, to make it so horrible that they would like to welcome that nice Mr. Starmer in to, to sort everything out, probably in just a few days. Right. But it won't, of course, be sorted out by Labour, because under Labour, traditionally, there are more strikes than there ever are under the Tories, because the unions then believe, well, now we've got a government that will actually do business with us, and we can ask them for even more than we've already got, and they'll give it to us. Well, they may get some of it. Um, of course, uh, under Blair, they got a lot of money, but of course, it mainly went on salaries. Mm. Uh, went on a ridiculous NHS salary structure uh, that, it, that has been one of the things that's caused all the issues and the problems. Right. Um, but the, 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 you know, the relationship between the consultants and the management in a lot of our hospitals isn't that good. Right. Um, you know, in, in fact, I've known in some places it's been quite acrimonious and unpleasant. I, I think that needs to be sorted out properly. Right. Um, and and, and the, the, the consultants going on strike, they're not going to get a lot more money. Um, that you, We've got an average, I think, of something like 120,000, yeah. as their income. A lot of them are also working in the private sector, Mike. Yeah, so they're making a lot and more than a lot that. Of, uh, quite a lot are. And the elective, you know, the people who do the hip replacements and you know, the routine elective surgery, a lot of them work in the private mm. sector. That reduces the capacity in the NHS anyway. But I tell you what, if um, they're working in the private sector and they go on strike, they'll give them a few more days to earn quite a bit more in the private sector. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's like a suicide. Like They want to inflict as much damage on the NHS as they possibly can. Mm. And, and the BMA pontificates about oh, well, you know, we want to make, give safer services, want to, want to protect the future of the NHS. That's not their job to do that. Also, nobody believes that anyway. I mean, because they really believed in the NHS and they really believed in safeguarding it, they wouldn't abandon it. No, they're absolutely right. And we know what happened when, you know, I, I can think back to the car industry, the coal industry, the steel industry. What happened when the unions decided to inflict as much damage as they could on their industry? Yeah. The industry went... They killed and, it. And, and thousands were made redundant, you know? Yeah. Absolutely right. And this is what they don't get. And this is what's going to happen to all of these organisations that strike, like the rail workers, the teachers. It'll all collapse in on itself. Martin, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Martin Gower, former NHS Trust Chair, of course. Uh, Ian says this from Atherston. Morning, morning, Mike. What will I do then? Uh, is see the pharmacist for all my complaints and ailments? Will Labour cut my na national insurance payments as I'm not using doctors and hospitals? Well, I very much doubt it. I think you know the answer to that already. This is Talk TV. Nationwide, by your side, talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back and good morning to the Independent Republican Mike Graham. I'm here, of course, until one o'clock. Richard Tice is about to join me. He's been down to Llanelli uh, in South Wales, southwest Wales, a great part of the world, uh, where he's been seeing the efforts of, uh, the extraordinary efforts really, uh, of the local community there uh, to fight off the uh, uh, basic invasion, if you like, uh, of the people who want to put migrants in a hotel there by the name of uh, Straddy Park. It's a Straddy Park hotel. Uh, they basically lined up, they demonstrated for days and days and days on end. We played you a little video earlier uh, of their love for Talk TV, which is very nice. Richard's here. Um, what an extraordinary A very good story. morning to you, Mike. Yes, so uh, I went to Thlenethley yesterday. Yeah. 
And it was remarkable. It was really, it was a great experience to see uh, residents, concerned residents mm. in a local community actually standing up against the government, standing up against the Home Office, yeah. standing up against this illegality and, and basically saying enough is enough. Right. What's remarkable about this is that the access road into the hotel, and yeah. this is a, a a big hotel, it's sort of the premier hotel. It was hotel. a very good local hotel, it's, wasn't it's it? It's a very good hotel uh, that um, uh, is, is very much respected and used by the locals a lot. The access road is actually owned by one of the neighbours. Right. It's an unregistered piece of land owned by one of the neighbours and they've previously granted rights of access to the hotel mm. owners. Right. So the neighbour has withdrawn the rights of access to the hotel, which is a very sensible thing yeah. to do. Slightly unique situation. Right. And then what they've done is they've uh, brought in some huge, huge blocks. I think you may have a picture of me standing on one of these blocks yeah. with uh, with the uh, um, uh, the residents. Yeah. So they put that to block the road. Mm. They've then got tents, which they've also put in the road, and they're carrying out a, a shift system, a rotor, so that people are there 24-7. People right. are sleeping overnight. It's wonderful. The community all come together with this. People have brought food, uh, sleeping bags. Right. So eight to ten people are sleeping overnight yeah. uh, in the and tent. And basically what's happened here is that the government has, without really telling anyone in the neighbourhood, telling the community, we're taking over this hotel, we're going to fire all the people that work there. That's right. Well, um, they've been fired. Right. We're going we're gonna to give the control of the hotel to presumably a contractor. Whether to, it's to one of the big, uh, one of the big uh, whether it's or them Circo or, or, or Capsule Circo. Like and so a hundred people, a yeah. hundred people from the locality have all lost their jobs right. decent jobs uh, and you know this is outrageous and no one's talking about this enough mm. up and down the country the thousands and mm. thousands of local people yeah. who've lost their jobs as part of this and they may well then have to sign on benefits so the cost of the taxpayer increases mm. and the impact on the community and so therefore quite rightly the people in Flanethely the good people there have said enough is enough they've looked for uh, some support from their local mm. MP one near Griffiths oh, yeah. who said uh, absolutely nothing. He's basically said, uh, you've just got to accept it. Get on with it. Uh, as though, you know, don't whinge, don't whine. You've yeah. just got to accept it. And the people have said, no, we're not going to accept it. We're going to say enough is enough. Right. We're standing in the way. I think this is a defining and moment. we haven't been asked. I think you're absolutely right. People have already started saying that to me today, that you know, the Welsh have shown the way uh, to what we should be doing here. Let's have a look. I'm here in front of the Strade Park Hotel in Flanethley. And as you can see, there's a significant demonstration of local people who are demonstrating against the plan to have some 300 asylum seekers brought here. And the reason is that they think that it's unfair, it's unjust. The first thing that's already happened is that some 100 people locally have already lost their jobs who worked in this hotel, which is the biggest hotel in the area. And that's not right, that's not fair. But also, what we've got here is neighbours to the hotel who actually own the access land, they've said, enough is enough. We're not gonna allow access into the hotel. Local people are sleeping overnight, ensuring that there is no access to this hotel. This is a local community that is standing up to Westminster, standing up to the Prime Minister and saying, enough, is enough. We want to stop the boats, we want all the asylum seeker applications, the backlog, to be dealt with urgently, immediately. It's not fair, it's not right, but the good people here, they know that actually it's only Reform UK 
that will stop the boats. It's a fascinating story, and as you were saying, uh, Richard, they have, for the moment anyway, sort of chased away the people who were occupying the hotel and trying to set it up. Before, I, I tell you what, the no one, haven't actually been moved no in one yet, right? should underestimate the determination mm. of the good people of Flanathley to ensure that this doesn't happen. And from everything I've heard, uh, they will stay there for as long as it yeah. takes until this proposal is stopped. And I think it's really important. The idea that you can sack a whole group of mm. local staff, local workers from the local community and bring in a bunch of cleaners from Birmingham yeah. is absolutely outrageous. It is. It really is. Because those people presumably will live in the hotel. Um, they will stay in that hotel for as long as... That's um, right. Whilst I was there, yeah. so a guest arrived right. with a voucher to use the hotel to stay overnight and, and to mean. use the spa. Because it's so recent, right. people haven't been told, they just shut the thing. Unbelievable. I mean, it's, this is, and this is going on all over the place. Mm. Well, I think there's somewhere in the region of four to 500 hotels that have been commandeered at up least, and down the country right? at least. that we know of. And as you say, nobody is ever asked. There's never any kind of consultation process, it seems to me. All I hear is that people ring into my show from time to time and say, well, we were going to have a 65th party at this there hotel. It's been cancelled. Uh, we tried to book um, a wedding reception. It's been cancelled. You know, it goes on all and, the time. And these people are doing it out of the, uh, their own passion, yeah. uh, from their heart, because they live locally. Very occasionally, uh, some, some protesters from sort of the other side of the debate will rock up. Yeah. Uh, they're students, paid right. from one of the local universities, probably at Swansea, pay 20 or 30 quid yeah. to rock up for a few hours, wave a few placards, and then disappear. They don't right. really know what they're there for. Right. Um, this is, I think it's really significant. And uh, I think many people up and down the country can draw a heart, as you say. Yeah. The Welsh are leading the way on Absolutely. this Absolutely. Well, we spoke to um, the, the Voice of Wales, um, um, the journalists who were covering the story last week, um, and they told us that they're very determined. And at the moment, I think, the um, situation is that the people who were inside the hotel have left, and there was great cheers that went up as they watched the, the, the final Range Rover leaving the premises, you know. So I presume at the moment the it's, premises as are I, empty, As right? I understand, it's completely empty. They're not going to let anybody mm. in. And this will go on, I think, until the Home Office uh, admit and agree yeah. that that hotel will not be used right. and it should be reopened. And it might well be that because of, it, uh, of the difficulties that they're having, the Home Office might just give up and just go, well, if we're going to face this much opposition, maybe we should just find somewhere else. I certainly hope so. I mean, we all know the real, the real answer. I mean, you've got the barge appearing off, uh, off Portland today. Yeah. That's like one day's worth 509. of arrivals. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's hard to believe, isn't it, a boat that size that can house 509 people only actually covers the numbers coming in one day on yeah. these so-called small boats. Well, that's the whole point. That's the madness of the whole situation. I've said it before, I'll say it again. This only stops when you pick people safely out of the boats and you take them back to France. Nothing else will work. The no. Court of Appeal, the Rwanda scheme, right. uh, I'm afraid you've well, always had... Migrant, you've been over-optimistic about Rwanda. I have. I'm pleased to see that you've slightly changed your position on that. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, well, I'm trying to be decent I do. I do think that if the Rwanda plan had worked it would have been a deterrent yeah I, but, I, but I don't see it ever working I don't think it'll ever come into fruition yeah I don't think if it's two or three or four or five hundred out of 40 yeah. 50 thousand it's just not a deterrent right and then you've got this migration uh, it's now an act I think as of today as yes opposed it's to now become an bill. act and again, it gives the government power to detain people who have come here illegally and deport them but you and but I again, both know we, we that know they can't that with, them. The, with the existing staff in the home office nothing will no. change Nothing at all will change. You need a complete and utter reset with a whole new group of uh, people in a new yeah. Department of Immigration that know how to quickly process them, say you're rejected, right. and then you can deport them. I'm not accepting this stuff, that you can't deport them. 
the Labour government 15 years ago, for heaven's sake, yes. and I'm not one to normally give them credit, they were deporting 30,000 yeah. people. Not to the EU, but to other countries right. from where they came. So and, we, and we know that other countries in Europe can deport people. I think somebody told me exactly. yesterday, I wasn't able to check if it was true, but I think Norway deported a bunch of people to, back to North Africa and yeah. just said, this you're is, not living here anymore. This is a nonsense perpetuated by the left, yeah. who are all part of the vested interests, who are making a great deal yeah. of money, whether it's the lawyers, whether it's the outsourcers, whether it's mm. the hotel companies, whether it's the charities. I tell you what, much more money is being made by the vested interests in this debate, this side of the channel, than the horrific people smugglers on the other side yeah. of the channel. It only stops when you pick up and take back. Exactly right. And here's the other thing that, that they've done now to sort of kibosh their own immigration bill, which is to say, well, we now don't have enough bricklayers and we don't have enough plasterers. So if you're a smart lefty lawyer, you're going to tell these guys coming from Eritrea Absolutely. and Syria, just tell them you're a bricklayer. Yeah, I'm a bricklayer, I'm a carpenter, and you're in. Yeah. Uh, and so and so it goes on. And it's why don't we train up? Make, take our a own... look, look out for some funny looking walls being built by people who don't know what they're doing. That's going to be my advice. <laughs> a bendy um, wall. Yeah. That's the top yeah. tip. <laughs> I mean, but it is. It's ludicrous, isn't it? I mean, on the one hand, we're saying dead. we're going to control this immigration. And I've said this repeatedly to any politician that will be on here. And I say to them, well, what happens if you do process this 170,000 backlog of people and they all find, uh, find that they fail the process? What are you going to do then? You can't send them anywhere because they won't do it. So they say. I tell you what, if I was in charge, they would be deported. You can use existing laws. You've just got to have the wherewithal, the commitment yeah. and the determination to do it. And yeah, we should be training our own young people to be tradespeople, mm. whether it's plumbers, yeah. chippies, right. bricklayers. Uh, you know, and, and that's that's what we've always historically have done. Yeah. We should play, should we not, just before we let you go, uh, the other video that we've got, which is of you asking the good people of Thanetley uh, whether they're fans of Talk TV. Absolutely. Uh, which I rather like. This is particularly good. Have a look. Well, here we are. We're in the Stradley Park Hotel, just in front of it, in Thanetley. Now, does anyone here listen to Talk TV? Yeah. Wow. There you are. Does anyone listen to the BBC? No. no. Everyone's on top form today. <laughs> Marvellous. Well done, everybody. Absolutely fantastic. Well, I mean, this tells you, doesn't it, how the... How if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The country has moved away from the traditional, you know, BBC, ITV model. You know, they're looking for, for, for an answer as to what everything why everything's going wrong and they're only getting it from us that's right and up and down the country i'm campaigning i was up in uh, uh where was it Hartlepool Hartlepool, on yeah. saturday and again people coming up to me saying love it you know listen to you on tour yeah and i i think that the people the the, the figures are being underestimated yeah. i really do absolutely up and down right. the country the word is spreading yeah. it's fantastic it is absolutely i understand you may have picked up a plank of the week nomination while you're up there. i have also more of that, that more of that more of that later <laughs> in the week obviously richard good to see you thank you very much indeed and what a sterling service he's doing uh, richard tice a man of the people a proper man of the people uh, we'll be back with more after this on dab plus on the app talk radio and talk tv Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. Richard in Killermarsh says this, Mike, did we have the blind leading the blind? The government has, by its capitulation to the House of Lords and the compromise it has made regarding the illegal immigration bill, virtually guaranteed that we will not see any progress. It has left itself wide open to challenges from left-wing lawyers and the charities and organisations they represent. Add to this the announcement of cheap labour from abroad being encouraged again. I wonder if the illegal immigrants will claim to be tradesmen to smooth their entry to the country. For God's sake, stop them at source and dump them back into France. Well, I mean, this is the thing. If you've got a smart lawyer, they'll say, never mind telling them that uh, you can't be sent home because you'll be tortured. Just tell them you're a bricklayer and you'll be let in. It seems ridiculous, but it's probably going to happen. I kid you not. But I'm delighted to say we're now joined by Laura Dodsworth. A very good morning to you. Well, very good morning I wasn't sure where you were. I well, thought somebody uh, <laughs> kidnapped you. Train strikes, what can oh, I say? Oh, God. Yeah, I heard about this yesterday. We had a guest yesterday yeah. who was in at 10 o'clock who almost didn't make it having left an extra half an hour to take a half-hour journey, and, and then it took an hour because there were no trains coming into London Bridge. Exactly. Is that yes, the, the problem? The London Bridge trains are the ones that are affected for me, um, but you don't know in advance. You right. just sort of get to the station and it says reduce service and, and your train is cancelled. But this is the problem. I now say the trains are pretty much worthless because if you don't know when the trains are running and it's a kind of lottery as to whether or not you can get from point A to point B in a particular time, you can't rely on them. But Sadiq Khan wants to charge us per mile driven in London as well. Yeah, of course he Caught does. Caught between a rock and a flipping hard place. It really is ridiculous. They just don't want me to travel. What am I supposed to do? Just just do it on stay Zoom. Stay at home on Zoom? No. no. I'm going to start banning Zoom, I think. I'm going to say everybody has to come in. Simple. Because that's the way <laughs> forward, isn't it? Otherwise people just go, oh, just stay at home, you know. Yeah. It's a lot easier. I don't like it. I mean, you just miss out on so much communication. Of because it's, you know, you need to be you need to be in the room with someone. You've got to have the chemistry, eh, Mike? Absolutely right. And we have a much better conversation with you sitting here than if you're on the screen. Always, always. I hate the screens. I'm, I'm developing a pathological dislike yeah. of the Zoom well, because and it's, screens. It's not, it's not human nature to sit in a room on your own, talking to somebody a long way away, um... On a, on a virtual kind of reality screen. Human nature. 
Stop right there. Go on. Let me bookmark it. Okay. Human nature. Okay, I've um I've written an article which is on Spike okay. today. I'd love everybody to go and read it. I I'm have, just checking in with your Twitter here so I can find it. Yeah, I, well, I've tweeted it. You know me, first thing this morning, Good. which is my natural habitat. Yes. I'm on there early, grazing and tweeting. Um, I've written about some quite astonishing comments that David Halpern, who's the head of the Nudge Unit, made when he was interviewed by The Telegraph the other week for mm. their Lockdown Files podcast. Yes. Now, I'll tell you what. When you read this, if you listen to his podcast, read my article, which is a response to it, you will understand why this man doesn't give interviews very often. I think he will be entirely unaware of the terrible clangers he's dropped. He literally said this. He said that using fear is justified when people are wrongly calibrated. What does that even mean? What he means is if your brain is miscalibrated, if you didn't understand things correctly, Mm. it was right for the scaremongering lockdown lobby to scare you. He's basically doubling down now. I mean, there are very few people who would say now that it was okay Mm. to scare people into submission, but he is saying it. And it's just such a revolting view of human nature that your brain is like a little bit of machinery Mm. to be fine-tuned, to be jigged around, calibrated by someone who knows better than you. Or like you're a social unit to be shuffled around on a board while you'll stay here in this box on the board because we've scared you. Yeah. Also, the word calibrated gives off a a vibe of kind of um, control, doesn't it? So that you're outside of our control... Yeah. Therefore, you're not listening to what we're saying. Therefore, you are a bad machine. Takes me back to Midnight Express, that movie about the guy who ended up doing time in Turkey. And he ends up having a conversation with this guy in the mental home who says, oh, you're a bad machine. You'll have to go back to the factory because you have to be fixed. You're a bad machine. Mm. And it really is reminiscent of that. You know, they're basically saying, well, yeah. you, don't, you don't get it. You're not doing what we're telling you to do. So now we're going to frighten you. Exactly. You don't, you don't calibrate human nature. You don't calibrate human beings. You don't calibrate animals at all. You calibrate machines. Yeah. It's an extremely cold-hearted, very dim, very reductive view of human nature. And that is what the head of the mm. Nudge Unit, and make no mistake, he's at the heart of policymaking in this government. Although it's supposedly independent. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Although it's supposedly independent now. It used to be um, owned by the Cabinet Office, and it was one-third owned by the Cabinet Office, and now it's owned by Nesta, a charity. I think, I mean, cynically, I'd suggest that's to give it an illusion of independence. I'm sure they're still on very Mm. broad framework contracts with the Cabinet Office. The other thing he said, and it's really important that people understand this, he said that we are drilled to accept another lockdown. You know, we practice fire alarms, so we're drilled to know what to do in case of a fire. And he said that the British public is now drilled to put their masks on and to stay home next time there's a pandemic. And in a way, this makes a mockery of the whole lockdown mm. inquiry, the yeah. COVID inquiry. It makes it makes a mockery of See, it. But it's not a lockdown inquiry, is it? It is a COVID inquiry. So they're not actually looking at lockdown specifically, are they? I know. It's a slip of the tongue, a Freudian slip of mind, because I think what they should be looking at mm. a lot more is lockdown. Yeah. They should be looking at right. why we locked down. And whether it was any good was. and whether it did anything, because my contention would be that it didn't do anything. Mm. I had this conversation yesterday with Lord Bethel, of all people. Oh, um, he's a big lockdown fan. Uh, he is, and uh, he was moaning on about how basically the NHS was failing because it was all our fault, um, because we didn't take the right attitude to our own health and we didn't look after ourselves, and the reason we had terrible death tolls in COVID was because we were all overweight and unhealthy and all the rest of it. 
didn't have any time for a, an argument that the NHS is basically broken because they broke it mm. because it's not really working. Um, and talked an awful lot about how, you know, we did a lot worse than everywhere else because of our unhealthiness. And I mm. said, well, actually, that's not true. We, you know, pretty much every country had the same percentage of deaths, by and large, as every other country, apart from Sweden, you know, who didn't lock down, mm. funnily enough. Well, the way that Lord Bethel speaks about it is very much in keeping with David Halpern, which is a kind of a responsabilisation. It's down to you, the individual, for everything that mm. went wrong. Yeah. You're responsible for the mistakes. You know, this is inherent in the Look Him in the Eyes campaign. Yeah. Someone died because you broke the rules. The NHS is in a bad shape now because we're all fat, right. which is then, you know, nothing to do with the whole culture we live in or to do with terrible mm. dietary advice by the yeah. government right. or to do with the fact that they shut the country down, which has enormous and very well understood effects on physical and mental health yeah. it's known for instance it's known from systematic reviews that fear um, will induce physical and mental health problems fear was never justified so in my article for spite i've set out several reasons why david halpin is completely wrong to say what he does but he's the head of the nudge unit he sits on spy b he advises in number 10 they think it was right to frighten you. Yeah. They think you're drilled to do it next time. Don't expect the COVID inquiry to come to any other results. Yes. And if you don't agree with that dim view that you're a bit of machinery that needs to be calibrated, this is what you should calibrate your Free brain your mind. with instead. There you are. Yeah. I mean, really, this is the... I, I take the opposite view. I, mean, I, I think that human beings have brilliant brains. Yes. We are susceptible to biases. We are. We do have a tendency to conform. But, you know, we're all in charge of our own brain. Mm. You know, you should do your research. You should be sceptical. You should question what you're told by authorities, yeah. including the government. And if you understand fear messaging, if you understand it's designed to play on your fears, there's a lot you can do to get your own house in order so that you're less susceptible mm. to the manipulation. And do you think more people are like that now or fewer? Because I, th I wonder whether there would be people who would go along again if they were asked to do so, wear a mask, stay home, don't go to work, you know, because a lot of people actually liked it, mm. bizarrely. I mean, I wasn't one of them, and I wouldn't do it again, uh, and I didn't do it really the first time. But there are an awful lot of people who will still do it. I still see people wearing masks. I saw somebody on the tube yesterday wearing a mask. I think that we will be um, more polarised than ever before, because unfortunately the sort of messaging they knew, if you look at the Spy B mm. documents around that time that the decision was made that the complacent needed to be made more frightened. Yeah. They talked about using conformity and social stigma and they included in these documents that it's known to come with negative spillover effects. When you um, divide people into the COVID heroes, who mm. do what they're told, who stay at home, who put on the mask, and the COVID idiots, yeah. the granny killers, the selfish yes. morons, you create a polarisation, but it's a false binary. Mm. It's presenting you with two options. You either do what you're told and you're a good, moral, virtuous, upright person, or you break the rules and you're a granny killer yeah. and you're selfish. It's a false binary. And, of course, who wants to say, yeah, I'm not in the good camp, I'm not the moral one? Whereas, actually... It's not necessarily morally the right decision to say that you shouldn't hold someone's hand when they die or that your, your children right. shouldn't go to school. Or that you're not going to see the person who yeah. is your close relative before I mean, they die. I think we know a lot of people... I think a lot of people now understand that some of the rules were bonkers. You yeah. know, the idea that you would walk into a restaurant wearing a mask, 
but take it off when you sit down to eat right. and actually achieve anything. And then put it on again if you had to go to the toilet. Yeah, exactly. You know, some people cut holes in masks to mm. play woodwind instruments. Yeah. I don't think anyone could deny now that the behaviour was super irrational right. and was never going to do anything. It was incredible. And, you know, you could have six tables, sorry, ten tables of six, but you couldn't have six tables of ten. Science. Follow the science. Yeah. That's made up on the spur of the moment by mm. social scientists. Yes. Mike. And it's not actually science. Of course, so you're not it's following not. the science at all. No, it, no, exactly. So I think few people now would look back and go, oh, yes, that all made perfect sense. What scientific advice we yeah. had. You know, you saw it just um, this morning, actually, in a report um, in the Telegraph about school closures. Mm. Gillian Keegan, the um, she's the Minister for Education, yeah. isn't she, has come out saying, oh, no, schools never shut. They were open. And key workers' children and, and children with special educational Which needs were educated true. throughout lockdown. Yeah. But it's disingenuous. Yes. I'm sorry, you can say it's true, or you can say it's disgraceful lies. Sure, schools stay open for some people, mm. but that isn't the point. No. They weren't open for most children, and when they reopened, school, ch school children continued to be sent home in their mm. bubbles, or they were shouted at for not wearing masks. We had the second longest school closures in Europe. Yeah. That's the truth of it. And she says that schools closed on medical advice. This is not true. Schools were always supposed to remain open according to every pandemic plan. Yeah, the until schools were not COVID. ordered to be closed. It was the school's personal school decision because they did it deliberately that way. The schools could have stayed open if they wanted to, but most of them didn't. Driven, of course, by the teachers' unions and driven by Keir Starmer, who wanted to lock them down even longer. Yes. If we'd done the right thing for children who were at virtually zero risk from COVID, we would have kept schools right. open. So you see a lot of doubling down now and a lot of cognitive dissonance. I think it takes somebody who's either... What, how am I going to put this? Someone who is either disingenuous about the truth mm. or deeply deeply mistaken to say that fear is justified if people's brains are wrongly calibrated yeah. calibrate your own brain people yeah. don't be frightened by people who are trying to frighten you as well would be my advice mm. what do you make of this story about um universities and dead-end degrees and whether people should not be going to do them i think there are too many people going to university yeah i agree with that and this is all tony blair's fault it is well, he made it into a business. You know, now we've got businesses rather than universities and they run them like businesses. And it means that we've also got a load of foreign students who come here, which they now rely upon for income. Mm. And we then therefore have too many people coming into the country from elsewhere who then probably hang around quite a long time afterwards. And the narrative is, oh, but they're very good for the economy because, you know, they put a load of money into the, to the university. Well, I don't know if that gets trickled down into the general economy or whether it just goes into the pocket of the vice-chancellor um, and his rather high salary. Um, you know, and I'm not sure that it's a good thing to have these kind of degree factories which are literally just selling education. They're not actually teaching anybody anything. No, I mean, you and I have talked about this before, but neither of my sons want to go to university. Yeah. And I can't blame them at all, because being saddled with £50,000 plus of debt right. for a degree, if you don't need that degree for your job, and if you don't have a pure love of the academic subject, why would you saddle mm. yourself with that debt? Yes. And there's no reason to when you can take the, the equivalent three years and probably start making more money by the second year of mm. the job that you're doing if you can get into it, you know? It seems to me that the business of, of education has been somehow warped. Well, a lot of our organs of society are warped, which brings me on something I, I very much wanted to talk to you about okay. this morning, which is um, Arts Wales, oh, the yeah. Arts Council in Wales. 
has decided to remove um, gendered pronouns, i.e. sexed pronouns, from all of its own literature and is policy Is that like documents. he and him? Is that a sexed pronoun? Yes. All oh, right. So it's not good enough now to have a pronoun. It has to be a neutral pronoun. All the way through right. their own material. I find this um, deeply concerning mm. from an arts organisation. Now, we're talking about their policy documents, their literature, not literature. But you've got to remember, people apply to this organisation for funding. I mm. myself had an Arts Council grant before lockdown struck. I ended up having to give the money back. Really? Yeah, well, I couldn't do the project because right. I was stuck in lockdown right. um, for, you know, for a year. It was mm. impossible, so I gave the money back. Um, but if you are applying to an organisation, you do feel like you need to please them mm. as well to some degree. Yeah. I think this is reflective of who they're probably awarding grants to. Well, this is a problem they had in Scotland, wasn't it? Because in Scotland, they stopped giving grants to people who were not, shall we say, on the side of independence. People who politically yeah. were kind of talking about unionism and wanting to be part of the United Kingdom, of Great Britain, Northern Ireland, didn't get as many grants as they used to. The arts world is very, very left-wing yeah. and woke. So I was recently called by a small gallery who wanted to show one of my films and potentially run a little exhibition. Mm. We had a great chat. We ended up straying onto some different subjects and they said, gosh, you're really right wing, aren't you? <laughs> and I thought, Are you oh, really not? You, what, and I'm really not. And I thought, what do you, what do you mean? Yeah. And, and one thing they said was, I bet you voted to leave Europe. Yep, there you go. Well, Tick. actually, do you know what, Mike? I don't talk about this much, but I didn't. I voted to mm. remain. I'd vote leave now, yeah. actually. But I voted yeah, remain yeah. at the time. And I thought, no, but this it's is interesting it. how you think that you know what my right. political choices are. Do you know what? That exhibition and film showing never happened. Right. Because they're just not comfortable, quite often, mm. working with people who feel like they are from a different tribe. Right. But I want to go back to the Arts Council thing, aside from my own rather woeful experience of the arts world. And if you think about... Uh, literature and art it is very much driven by by sex huh. by romantic love I mean think about Midsummer Night's Dream um, though she be but little she be fierce mm. well, imagine look though they that though they be but little they be fierce yeah. or um, you know think about the song uh, she well I was going to say there is actually a song, they, a song called she yeah or or perhaps covering the genitals of all statues with fig leaves, Renaissance style. What mm. are we? Where are we going? Yeah. You know, even the sorts of totalitarian dullards mm. that put these ideas forward at Art Council Wales, they haven't thought it through. Because a world where we deny that there is sex yeah. and therefore sexual love and, and romantic gender. love, and and it's it's a very dull, boring. It's a sexless but world, but it's also denying it's a joyless world. But it's denying reality as well, isn't it? It's yes. Deliberately denying what's in front of you and going, "I'm not seeing that. That's not whatever that is. That's that's not what I see." Take it away. It's mad, isn't it? They wouldn't like the world that they're trying to bring forward. You know, it's one thing um, pretending that you're really virtuous and crafting these policy documents. If they lived in a world where everybody looked the same, like little Lego minifigs, yeah, yeah, or um, you know, genital-free like Barbie dolls, yeah. action man. Um, they wouldn't like it. Mm. That's not a world that any of us no. want to live in. It's also not a world that any of us can live in beyond one generation well, because we actually exists. need we I mean, need to reproduce. We're being told today that Rishi Sunak is now kind of looking again at the whole trans guidance for schools thing to decide whether or not he should instruct schools to either do one thing or not do something else. Um, it's a sensitive topic. Well, it's not that sensitive. It's just, you know, again, mm. talk about 
reality. I, I would rather they delay it and they get it right yeah. than they get it wrong. Because, of course, first of all, they were saying, well, we're not going to allow schools to let children socially tra- transition their mm. children without the parents' knowledge and consent. I.e., you know, if a child wants to change their gender at school... At the moment, the school doesn't have to tell the parent. And the guidance was going to be, no, this isn't on. Social transition leads to transition. We know this from the CAS review of the Tavistock Clinic. Mm. Social transition is not neutral. It makes the child more likely to fully transition. So when they rode back on that, I thought, oh, no, here we go. You know, if you can have a minority of children who can transition at school without the parents' knowledge, I think it's a huge safeguarding issue because it can lead to medical transition. You know, it means all those sorts of parents who think Mermaid is a great charity, they're going to do it, and they're the thin end of the wedge. I mean, really, something like this has to be so carefully Mm. safeguarded. So it is a sensitive issue, and I just hope they're delaying it because they're going to get it right. I'm not sure that's the case. I'm sure they're probably delaying it because they don't know what to do and they're going to get it wrong and they're going to get it wrong because oh we're they'll so be... cynical now well we are though but that's the trouble i mean richard Sunak keeps saying he's going to do things and he doesn't do them i yeah. mean that's what he's becoming famous for he's going to have a cabinet reshuffle apparently this week he's got three by-elections coming up he's got quite a lot on his plate he probably thinks mm, maybe i shouldn't do this at the moment because there's too much else going on the thing is the you know the the culture wars have risen finally to the top of public consciousness mm. and there's a lot of people that pretend it doesn't matter. Oh, people aren't interested in that. They're just interested in the cost of living. Well, I'm interested in all of it. I'd like yeah. him to actually be able to um, commit to all of his pledges. I'd like them all to come true. I'd love, I'd love inflation to half. But I also don't want to vote for a party that doesn't know what a man and a woman no. is and won't really safeguard and children. And Keir Starmer held that position for a while. I don't know whether he's changed it, but he used to say, well, why does everybody, you know, this is not a, a, a major topic for people to worry about. Well, they're wrong. They're they, wrong. Well, of course. I mean, people he doesn't do mention care. the two big topics that people are worried about. One, that he can't seem to define what a woman is. And two, he doesn't want to talk about immigration. Mm. The two big subjects, I think, that will define whenever the next proper election is. But do you think that um, we're in a little echo chamber, a little bubble of our own making, or do you think people are generally becoming more aware of these issues? I, I mean, I think they are. I'm even hearing people talk about it in public. I think it, I think the conversation has widened. Mm. More people are talking about some of the madness of transgender yeah. ideology. They're talking about things like the weather reports going insanely fear-mongering. Oh, my God. You know, I mean, you'd think we were all about to burn up. And you know, if you go on, on holiday to Italy, for example, whatever you do, don't step off the plane onto the tarmac unless you're wearing some lead-lined boots because you're going to melt, literally, on the uh, on the runway. I'm more excited about my holiday in August, to be honest. I, I like to guarantee it'll be hot when I go away. The thing I find really funny is um, that they've started naming heat waves mm. because they never used to name heat waves. And what are they naming them? Well, one's named after Sharon. the three-headed dog that guides Hades. Another one's been named for some kind of horrendous... Um, you know, um, fire that destroys everything in its wake, right? Yeah, it's interesting that they went straight for hell because yeah. you know there's not there's not really any wiggle room. Like no. If it's going to get if it's keep going to keep getting hotter every summer yeah. until the planet burns, well, all they've got left is is Lucifer himself. Mm. You know, where are they going to go from from <laughs> Cerberus? They should have started with something a little bit more innocuous, like like Eunice or or Freddie. But I've always said this about the naming of storms in this country, where they sort of don't really feel very frightening like storm oh, doris wow. or something you know and you they were go, listening to you this is maybe, your fault maybe you've, you've and they're going it. you know you know storm albert and you kind of go mm, that's not really that frightening you know i mean hurricanes have a much more sentient kind of sound i think because of the word hurricane 
So mm. it doesn't matter what the hurricane is called, it's a hurricane. But a storm with a kind of innocuous name is not frightening. So they've learned from that. And so now mm. Cerberus, the three-headed dog, which is going to rip you from limb to limb and leave you, you know, dying on the, on the street. That's what it's called. It's ridiculous. But, you know, we were talking about this last summer. I wrote a little article about how weather maps have changed. And I linked it back to a report that the nudge unit, oh, yes, the prodigy of my favourite, David yes. Halpern again, had put together with Sky, a right. licensed broadcaster, about how they could use the power of TV to make people decarbonise mm. their lifestyles. Yeah. Well, this is what it's led to. This is what it's led to, the nudge unit and broadcasters working together. And, of course, the Met Office are in on it too. They really want you to be scared of heat, Mm. to be scared of climate. What they never mention is about ten times as many people die from the cold. You know, we get all this alarmism in the summer. Julie was having a conversation this morning. We don't get it in the winter. Because the thing is, you know, the the answer in the winter would be don't turn your heating off. But they don't want you to run your heating. And if you remember, they were saying, oh, you know, run it at maximum mm. 90 degrees. My mum, who's got serious terminal lung conditions, doesn't get out of bed sometimes right. in the winter because it's too cold. Right. So old people literally die of the cold. Mm. And no one's talking about that no. at all. You know, if the heat is so dangerous, why aren't we doing global evacuations? You know, why are we not evacuating the global south? Right. Well, they're kind of evacuating Their bodies themselves. don't melt at 40 degrees. What we're being told is absolute patent nonsense. Mm. And most people know it. And, you know, you look out today. Well, Kevin O'Sullivan was saying, you know... I don't see Cerberus pacing the streets of London, It's not very you? warm in London, I'm afraid. You <laughs> know, in not. fact, it's unseasonably chilly. But the interesting thing is, Kevin O'Sullivan was saying, you know, behind all these kind of, you know, hor- horrific reports of climate change, generally speaking, most television companies then pan across and there you see a beach where there are people quite happily sunbathing, swimming, doing the things that you do on a summer holiday. Mm. And it's like, you know, people are not cowering in fear. And actually, if people in Rome are being told you probably should stay indoors, that's kind of what they do anyway. When you go to an Italian city in, in the day, or that's why they have siestas in Spain, because they generally stay out of the heat. Mm. But they've been doing it for centuries. That's why they build the houses the way they build them. What's really hotting up isn't so much the weather... It's the propaganda. Yeah. And I think a lot more people are alert to it. Again, I have to say, environment is a case study in the book. There it I is. mean, for some people, um, they may get a sense when they read it that they, they know uh, where my co-author, Patrick Fagan, mm. I sit ideologically. But we took the example of, of climate because there is so much fear-mongering and so much nudging going on that people will be able to see it. I've actually been delighted, to be honest, with how much is happening this summer Mm. because it just wakes people up to the role of the nudge unit and the behavioural scientists in trying to change our behaviour. Because if they said to you, if they said to you right at the beginning, right at the beginning of when we signed up to Net Zero, oh, this is going to mean you won't have a car, you're going to have a heat pump which doesn't work very well and you need to going to put on, you need to going to you need to go to put on your hair shirts every winter. Everyone go, oh, crikey, I don't like mm. the sound of this. So they do it step by step. It's a foot in the door. They get you used to it through a process of incrementalism. And fear is a big part of how they do it. It's frightening, isn't it? No, it's not. But we're waiting for Cerberus to come here and frighten <laughs> us. And we can't wait, yeah, can What's we? that three-headed dog doing over there? <laughs> get rid of it. Um, anyway, lovely to see you. You Thank want to give you. your book a free plug while you're here again? Uh, it is... <laughs> Final plug. <laughs> 
I've been so subtle. What do you, what do you mean? What this little book? That it's one. out. It's out on Thursday. Yeah. And actually, I am really excited because I spent all last year writing so it with my be. co-author, and I can't wait to hear what people think of it. And mm. um, people still email me about a state of fear, and in fact, my other books. And this is this is the fun bit as a writer when people then read your book and tell you what they right. think. So I'm ready and waiting. And Please buy it and tell me. Use it as a gateway to go back through the other stuff, right? Absolutely, but it's not a gateway to hell. No. There's no Cerberus. No, I'm in charge of that. Um, <laughs> see me after school. Um, this is Talk TV. By the way, apparently Just Stop Oil have escalated their protests again because, of course, they're the ones that really know uh, how the earth is going to end. Uh, it's going to end in about six and a half weeks in a horrible fireball. Uh, so apparently there's about 50 of them on five locations in what threatens to be a repeat of yesterday's disruptions. What a collection of absolute idiots. Anyway, uh, we'll bring you more on that coming next. On DAB Plus, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. World of Woke coming up very shortly. Uh, hi, Mike. I carry a bottle of oil in my car, so if I come across these morons, I will kindly deposit this oil over their heads. I'm sick of them, uh, says Terry. Uh, interesting. Uh, see if they can stop that oil. <laughs> As you pour it over them. Uh, Mike, the issue I have with the police is this. They are spending so much time on this woke nonsense, yet my life was threatened on Sunday, yet the earliest I can see a police officer is Wednesday, says Robin. Goodness me. Let's talk to Lorraine, who's in Chelmsford. Hello, Lorraine. Hello, Mike. How are you doing? Yeah, paying attention still. Excellent. Watching it all carry on. Excellent. We're all still here. Heaven knows yeah, you're why. you're still there. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on? Mike, Mike, these... these these governments around the world have got no intention of stopping it. Mm. Um, our governments around the world have signed in and they keep meeting up. I mean, we're just this, this weather thing is, is UN Agenda 2030, mm. um, which was signed, uh, I, th- I believe, straight off in Rio 1992, went on to ge- Agenda UN 2030. Mm-hmm. They have uh, the Paris Accord. Um, we had Alex Sharma crying his eyes out at Edinburgh. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, COP26, I mean, yeah. Absolutely. And then you've got... Um, Mind you, he's resigning, isn't he? He's leaving. They, well, the, none of them stay around for long, do they? That's yeah. why they don't yeah, care thanks, what they're trying uh, to. Thanks, Mr Sharma, for all the fish. I mean, you know, who do these people think they are? Well, you have you have Rifkin, Michael Rifkin, Theresa May signing um, the UN Migration Pact in Marrakesh. Yeah. 11th of 12th of December 2018. Um, I mean, we don't have a Conservative Party. We haven't had a Conservative Party for many years. They are all neo-liberals. They're actually all back the globalist agenda, Mm. which is for um, open borders, um, so that we go for a global corporate totalitarian government. That is the agenda. Well, I hope they know what they're doing, because nobody else seems to. I mean, I don't well, mind a totalitarian government if, they, if they're any good, but they're not, are they? Well, it's all about wealth transfer from the bottom to the top. It's about control. This is where CBDCs come in as well. Um, and you have, you know, to control us. King Charles on the Great Reset, the big speech he made there. Um, people need to stop complying yeah. and start using cash. Well, they're not, comp- because- they're not controlling me. I don't think they're controlling you either, Lorraine, are they? They don't. Well, they have never controlled me, as no, you know. You, right. you know. Right. Um, I mean, this public-private partnership is all part of it. I'll call it stakeholder capitalism. Mm. And actually, when, um, as Mussolini says, when government and corporations come together, 
that is a form of fascism, which is where we're at. Mm. Um, we've had the long march through all our institutions. That march is now complete. Um, and, we, and the agenda that they push, divide and conquer, which is victimhood culture, identity politics, mask or no mask, vac or no vac, vaccination. Um, and this is all, this is actually a, a cultural Marxist agenda. Mm. Yeah, I, I, you may be right, right, Lorraine. You may be right. All we can do is keep resisting it. That's all I suggest. And, and keep resisting it until the day you die. Uh, Cresta uh, is a new caller in Durham. Hello, Cresta. Oh, hello. Hello. Hello, Mike. What can I do for you, Cresta? Um, I, I do totally agree with what your last caller said mm. um, because I've read the books. Yeah. I've been awake for a long time. That's good. And I also believe our governments have been hijacked yeah. by the UN government. Mm. Um but I think also the government are bringing these immigrants in to create a race war, to hmm. bring in martial law. Um, you think that? I think that's where we're going with this. Yeah, okay. I do. Well, let's hope it's not true. Let's hope that's not going to happen because nobody wants that. But thank you for that. Uh, Janice is in West Yorkshire. Janice. Hi. Hi. What do you want to tell me, Janice? Right. Well, I was just thinking about these Just Stop Oil people. Yes. Um, when it was a Pride March a couple of weeks ago, the police seemed to find the powers then. They did, didn't and they? And them to stop it destructing that. It seems it's only working men and women that, yeah. um, uh, you know, are disrupted. And just I've just been listening to your previous callers uh, about this, you know, totalitarian thing. Yes. There doesn't seem to be a lot on the news at the moment about the World Health Organisation. No. They've got a meeting in September, I think it's 2024-25, okay. where they want all countries to sign up to this thing. So if there is a global pandemic, everybody will be under their control. Mm. Well, they've tried it once before, but it didn't work, did it? Yeah, yeah, but, I mean, it seems to be getting sneaked in, does this? I just think it's a bit suspicious. Yeah. And also, I love your show, and you and Crazy Kev are the man. <laughs> Crazy <laughs> Kev, I like it. Janice, thank you very much indeed, sensible woman. Crazy Kev, that could stick, couldn't it? He is a bit crazy. I tell you what, three and a half hours uh, he worked yesterday, and uh, he worked for the, a, a total of 14 hours, I think he was here. Something like that. Um, but he only did three and a half hours of actual on-air scenario. But there we are. That's Crazy Kev for you. Uh, coming up, uh, we're going to be talking to Baroness Karen Brady, a CBE, business executive, of course, West Ham vice chairman. Uh, she's going to be talking about why the high street is booming again. This is Talk TV. On your mobile, on your wavelength, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Edgy Talk, Plain Talk, Collins Talk, Talk Radio. Ian Collins. This afternoon from one on Talk Radio. Zap the zeitgeist. Knock yourself out with news. I'm here to do a job. I'm a journalist. I'm a broadcaster. The king of the afternoon news agenda. Ian Collins. I'm here to discuss my emotional well-being. Ian Collins. Something is very wrong. Ian Collins. This afternoon from one on Talk Radio and Talk TV. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. World of Woke coming your way very shortly. That's when we pick out a story which is particularly woke uh, and we give you our version of it and we give you our uh, reasoning behind it. It's going to be about gardens today, I believe. Uh, 0344 is the number. We'll take a couple of your calls before we hand over uh, to Ian Collins at one o'clock, of course, as well. Right now, though, uh, let's talk to Baroness Karen Brady, CBE, uh, business executive, uh, famously, of course, uh, chairman of West Ham Football Club uh, here in London. Karen, a very good um, afternoon to you. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Afternoon. Now, you're going to tell me uh, that you found some place in business where things are going rather well. A report has found that small to medium-sized businesses are owed billions in unpaid bills, but actually they're doing quite good business. They're just not collecting the money. Is that what the problem is? Well, yes. I mean, Simply Business uh, has released their annual SME Insights report, and that highlights the challenges that small businesses across the UK are facing against quite tough economic conditions. And some of the report findings were quite staggering, really. I mean, the the data shows that small businesses are owed up to £32 billion in late payments. uh, And more than a quarter of small business owners believe they'll be forced to cease trading. Um, And, you know, when a customer isn't paying you, they're hanging on to money that's rightfully yours. And that can cause all sorts of cash flow businesses for for small business owners, which can be very difficult for them to manage. Yes, of course. It's always been a problem, hasn't it? Because you get some companies that say, oh, well, you send us an invoice and we'll only pay it at the end of the next month. And sometimes if it gets missed on that particular round, then there's another month that goes. And you don't have a lot of people now don't have a lot of elasticity, do they, in terms of what money they can actually access? Well, that's right. Um, you know, you know, customers can persistently make excuses for, for paying you late. So it's really important that businesses have proper terms and conditions. They know how to chase uh, late payments um, because the impact on their business is often very significant because, right. you know, they have to they have to pay for the goods that they then supply. And if they're waiting, they can't start their next job. So cash flow is a real is a real consideration, a real, can have a really serious impact. Yeah. And I mean, do banks have money, much sympathy for, for firms in this kind of position? Because obviously a lot of the small businesses don't have huge reserves of cash. And particularly if they do, I've been told by, by people that I know in business, if they do a, a big contract and it's a lot of money and it might even for them be sort of the majority of the money they'll make in any given year, but they have to wait ages for it and they have to borrow uh, against it and it costs them a lot of money. Yes, that's right. I mean, look, banks are the best place to go and speak. I mean, the purpose of a bank is to lend money. That was what they were originally built for. Yeah. Speaking to your bank and talking to them about some of the problems that you're experiencing is very often the best way forward. But actually having systems in place to help you recover debts, there are free, uh, lots of free advice. If you go to the Simply Business website, there's all, all sorts of advice you can get there. The Federation of Small Businesses can help. Um, and hopefully the government will do, will do more to, um, to make large businesses pay small businesses as the as the invoices fall due. Right, and a lot of businesses struggling at the moment as well with higher energy costs, like 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 we all are, I suppose. But for a lot of businesses, that's a massive increase, isn't it? I was talking to a guy um, the other week who had a uh, sort of an electricity bill of about a hundred thousand pounds last year, but this year it's gone up to like two hundred and fifty thousand. You know, with yes. no, no small potatoes. No, I mean, the Simply Business research found that a quarter of small business owners are spending 40% more on their energy bills. I mean, the, these are costs that are not helping you grow or develop or build customers or a better infrastructure or improve your service. They are a simple fixed cost that you 
cannot avoid paying uh, and they in no way improve your business so very mm. frustrating and but you can't do without it no quite and what about sort of uh, business rates and, and and businesses that run in in places like the high street because an awful lot of those have kind of moved away haven't they i know certainly in in local areas where, where i go there's quite a lot of empty shops still i mean i was in canary wharf not long ago and there's still quite a lot of empty shops in canary wharf some of them might be chain stores that have just decided not to reopen but the retail sector is kind of under a lot of pressure, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I mean, small businesses contribute vastly to the local communities. They bring growth, they bring innovation, they bring jobs, they bring vibrancy to, to areas. Um, and therefore, helping them in every way possible is really important. And I think I don't think what people understand the pressures small business owners are under. Mm. You take a massive challenge, risk and chance to go and open your own business. And very often people say to you, oh, that's so risky. Don't do it. You take the plunge. You back yourself. You're prepared to learn on the job. You uh, use your own money in many cases to get started. And you're everything in that business when you start. You are the finance director the marketing director, the sales director, the customer service, you're ordering, you're chasing bills, you're making the tea, you're doing everything. You're taking a big risk, you're creating jobs, you're creating taxes, you're vastly contributing to the economy. That's why it's really important that we highlight the challenges, we flush them out, we shine a light on them, and we try and help small business owners thrive. And a lot of them didn't thrive during COVID. Uh, Some of them were able to get some help, some of them weren't. Um, How do you think... um, recovery is going for those for those people for those who kind of did struggle through covid is the government doing enough for them well i think the government did a lot with the bounce back loans uh, the covid loans i i think they actually did did a lot to you know to really help businesses and without them lots of businesses uh, wouldn't have survived but those businesses also had to help themselves and during um, COVID, you found a lot more innovation and companies making decisions at speed, whether they're small companies or large companies. Decisions that would normally take months to make were happening overnight. And you found with small businesses, you found things like a taxi firm that had no customers because no one's allowed to go anywhere and a restaurant that had no customers because they weren't allowed uh, to, to open. They were working together and creating these um, opportunities together through innovation saying, right, we'll do food delivery and you can deliver it for us. So right. building this network of, you know, problem solving all of the time, which I I think helped people really start to think differently about the way you do businesses and how you how you check, how you find customers, how you build brand awareness, how you <clears throat> excuse me, hire talented people, how you problem solve. I think it helped in a lot of those ways. Okay. And and, and many of those businesses who took the loans, have they had to pay them back already or are they under sort of pressure to pay them back now or or are they still kind of dragging that out well that i don't know because i'm not in charge of of business loans i'm sure plenty of people haven't but i'm sure plenty of people have i think the purpose of the loan was to to bounce you back get you back on your feet and see Mm. you through i think a lot of companies that obviously haven't been able to see through they probably wouldn't be able to pay their loan back but those that have probably have yeah right good story in the times this morning if you've seen it about a high street in pool in dorset which is actually booming thanks to uh, landlords kind of putting in a, a rent holiday for some of the businesses to say that you know why don't you just waylay that that rental payment for a couple of months and it seems to have been quite successful 
Yeah, I mean, you've got to start thinking outside of the box to encourage people to build a business, grow a business and thrive in business. Um, and that often means lots of local partnerships and people working together and helping one another and, and giving people a, a, a leg up. Um, you know, all sorts of initiatives like that are really very helpful. Yes. Can I just ask you a football question? I think West Ham are actually playing in Australia at the moment. Um, yeah. But there's been a lot of interesting things happening, hasn't there? Lionel Messi going over to sign up with David Beckham's team. Um, Ronaldo going to Saudi Arabia. Jordan Henderson getting tapped up by Saudis, saying they want to pay him £800,000 a week. Um, is that, do you think, the direction of travel? Do you think the money is going to kind of move towards the Middle East not so much America, because I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know, the Saudis are obviously trying. They've done an incredible job of getting their hands on the golf business, haven't they? I mean, could they potentially kind of start making inroads into football as well? Well, I mean, you know, it's interesting, isn't it, that there's there's lots of... Uh, countries all around the world that want to invest in the Premier League predominantly because it is the best league in the world. It's mm. the most watched, it's the most economical, it, uh, economically successful. It's also the most competitive. So you're seeing lots of money coming into football uh, where people want these amazing assets to be part of. We're seeing lots of players go going the other way uh, and playing in Saudi Arabia for, as you say, astronomical amounts of, of money. I mean, you know, it'd be, be interesting. I I don't know if you've been to Saudi Arabia. I've been a few times. I haven't. Well, I've been a few times. I mean, it's 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 a vibrant, buzzy place. You know, you can sense the you know change coming through that country at quite a quite a rapid pace, and mm. how they're trying to broaden their reach and their interests um, is 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 very interesting. Yeah. I, I think. And space. they've got. I mean, they've got the World Cup coming there as well, haven't they? Um. In 2030, I think, it's supposed to be going... I mean, I don't, they may not have been awarded it yet, but, I mean, everybody seems to think that they're going to get it uh, after, the, uh, after the 2026 one. But, anyway, uh, we shall see. Karen, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Baroness Karen Brady, uh, CBE, their business executive in West Ham uh, Football Club, vice chairman, uh, talking about small business. If you've got a small business um, and you're not getting enough help or you need to have uh, something sorted out, you can always give us a call and we'll see what we can do. You never know. Um, it might just be good to get some advice on uh, how to run everything. Uh, 0344 499 1000. Graham in Manchester says this. The Metropolitan Police has 43,000 personnel. You'd think that given they all have to work every day, they could find a way to rip the Just Stop Oil Muppets off the road. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. 